Welcome to Prim and Prosper. I'm Elizabeth Hathaway. And I'm Marinella Mazzucato. Uh, Marinelle, before we hop into this week's topic, I want to check in and ask you how your dry January is going. It's going really well, actually. Um, I am, I feel eating more sweets, but I'm also working out more. So it's like, it's, it's evening out, you know what I mean? But it's like, I need, I, I need something for a craving. Like when I normally would have a glass of wine or a beer, that's when I'm like, I think I'm going to get some ice cream. Fascinating. So I think I've been eating less sweets and I'm not trying to cut them out. I was totally on board with doing a cupcake a day if I needed it. Uh, I just, I don't know what it is that I'm craving less sweet items. I wouldn't say I'm eating healthier, except that I notice that I'm not craving as many sweets. That might be the weed part of it. Maybe not so much the alcohol part. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe that's the difference on that. Maybe, yeah. That could be. All right. Well, I'm excited to see how the rest of the month progresses for us. But for now, we are talking about the concept of self, self-worth. self That's a really tough thing for me to say for some reason. Uh, to kick us off on this, I wanted to ask you, you know, we did an episode on self-acceptance last year, and I wanted to get your input on you know, how you see those things being different or alike. Yeah. What your, what your thoughts are on that? I think for me, the self-acceptance versus self-worth, like I would see self-acceptance is like seeing all the things about who you are and being okay with it. Whereas like self-worth is, um, the treatment that you would give yourself like how you would treat yourself you know what i mean like how what value you put on yourself that makes sense so i also think of value when i think of self-worth is you know how valuable you see yourself i also wonder and when i was kind of formulating some different questions for us to ponder i i was also thinking of self-worth is sometimes a bit of a comparison, right? Like in order to know our own value, I think we tend to compare ourselves against others. Now, I don't necessarily think we should do that, but I do think a lot of times that plays a role into how valuable or how worthy we see ourselves. It's like I see myself this worthy kind of in comparison to everyone else that I know. If that makes sense. Yeah, because I can see myself when I try to figure out my self-worth, like, I'm definitely looking to the outside of everything else instead of looking within myself, so that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and in that way, I think it's very akin to self-esteem, and and maybe even kind of the same thing. I mean, I don't want to say that they're identical, Uh, I'm sure... The people who study psychology, if there's someone listening, is probably like, no, these are the different definitions and these aren't identical concepts. But I think I see self-worth being more aligned with self-esteem, whereas self-acceptance I see as you're not necessarily looking at outside perspectives or outside sources. It's purely who you are and accepting that and it's not based on a comparison to others. I, I'm on board with all of that, yeah. 
So with that in mind, what would be some of the areas or uh, subcategories that you think affect your self-worth? You know, I'm throwing out some ideas. It might be, I guess, finances, fitness level. What are some ones that come to mind for you? Um, For me, self-worth, I probably am looking at like a lot of the physical stuff. Uh, career is a big one for me, like what, what kind of career you're in or what kind of position you hold. That I guess that can kind of tie into finances as well, like how, how much money you have, um, how you dress, things like that, where it's like, what am I really worth? Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody were to see me, what, how would they evaluate me? Right. Does my taste and appearance look sophisticated enough or... Uh, yeah, how would they evaluate my exactly worthiness based on, and I think maybe that's where we want to deep dive in because a lot of those things you mentioned were also on my list. Uh, I think if I hear what someone does for a living, I automatically think certain things, right? Like I have an idea in my head of what they probably make, uh, as far as a, a wage, I have an idea in my head, maybe how much power or authority they have within their company that they work at, uh, you know, how they're perceived based on that. Is that a well-respected field or is that maybe something that comes with judgment or (laughs) condemnation? Probably not condemnation, (laughs) but you know what I mean. Like when someone tells me what they do for a living, I automatically kind of have all these preconceived notions about them based on just hearing that one title that one position and it's like one dimension of who they are but I already assume a whole bunch of things about them so could you I mean feel free to start wherever you'd like but I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you see your career impacting your self-worth over your lifetime to this point I guess you're not that old (laughs) (laughs) not that old I'm getting I'm getting there (laughs) Excuse me, I still have a little bit of a lingering cough. See, I've actually kind of battled those two things with like what my actual career is and what kind of money I'm making because for such a long time I was a waitress and, you know, there's such a negative connotation in being a waitress, especially the older you get. It's like people are like, what are you doing? Where are you? Where are you going? Like, what's your plan? How are you getting out of this? And it's the most money I've made to date is being a waitress. So it's like you have these two conflicting things where I felt really low self-worth because of what people made me think the career meant. But I knew I was making good money. So it was kind of like, overpowered like i i willingly left the waitressing career but i think a lot of it had to do with other people's thoughts on it and i still kind of think back like i kind of like put myself into these positions for the appearance of a more steady job when i actually was doing myself a disservice by making less money which was more important to me but i people wouldn't be able to see that. You know what I mean? They wouldn't be able to see my bank account and realize that I took a hit. Yeah, interesting point. And I will share, I had a similar experience. So I served 
in college and for a year after college and made pretty good money. Uh, I don't recall exactly what I made, but I know ballpark about what I made. And when I finished getting my grad degree and went into counseling, I made less than that. And I lived in a more expensive cost of living area. So I served when I lived in Tampa, went to college and right afterward. And then I moved to Chicago, took a job as a counselor. Chicago has a higher cost of living than Tampa. I pay, uh, I don't even want to think about how much, how, how cheap my rent would be in Tampa compared to Chicago. But any, but I guess to your point, I also felt like I had more respect from other people when I told them I was a counselor versus when I told them I was a server, despite, to your point, the fact that I took a financial hit doing that. That's a really, server, waitress, that's a really interesting one because it doesn't, and I'm not sure why that is. I think a lot of customer service roles, unfortunately, are looked down apart largely by society. Retail, I would kind of put in that same category as serving. Yeah, and trades. Although I feel like trades are starting to get a little bit more respect because they are a dying breed and they're like trying to resurrect them because so many people did steer clear of that and there's really good money to be made in trades too. So, mm-hmm. But the waitress one... I know. And you don't outsource or automate trades very much. So, like, you can't send the plumber job overseas. You need physically a plumber in all the different places where people have plumbing, which is all across the U.S. And those things aren't necessarily automated. You know, you go into a grocery store or even I see when I go to restaurants, there's a lot of it's automated now. You, like, scan your QR code and you can you know, program in your order and it goes straight to the kitchen and then a food runner brings it out to you. So I feel like some of those jobs have become either outsourced or automated, but trades totally aren't. Like we still physically need people to do electrical work and plumbing and all the different trades. It is interesting. Our generation was so pushed to go to college. Like if you want to make it and if you want to be quote unquote worth anything, the expectation was you went to college. Uh, and that really is, it is a shame for two reasons. One, because people probably did not pursue careers they would have enjoyed more. Oh, man. Ambulance. I mean, <laughs> it's <loud>. like clockwork. <laughs> it, I wonder, we should start timing exactly when the ambulance goes by my apartment every week when we record every week maybe maybe we can compile a uh a compilation a, a best a best sirens <laughs> you know when when we get enough of them just like and just be all sirens the whole episode yeah instead of bloopers at the end of the podcast episode we just have a bunch of siren uh compilations going on <laughs> Ooh, our intro our intro song <laughs> That's it. We found it. <laughs> Who doesn't love a good siren intro and outro? Um, but in addition, I think the other, I don't know, shame about it is like it made our generation frown upon tradesmen because we were told, you know, go to college and 
if you want to be anything, you have to have a college degree and that's the only way to quote unquote be worthwhile and valuable to society. And it really, it is really a shame that, that that kind of mindset was instilled on a generation when there is nothing wrong with, I mean, doing serving, doing trades, any of that, but, but there is for sure a certain, I, you know, I don't know how to phrase it, but there is a way society views it and it's not as worthy. Those jobs are not considered as worthy. That's true. And then, but like, sometimes I think about on the, like, I guess on the other side, like if I go out to a restaurant and I have a server, I tip her pretty well because of how much I do value her. So it's like maybe we're more critical of ourselves and think the worst of what people think of us when we're in those roles or like how impressed I am by like a plumber who can come and fix something, you know, and be um, honest and I'll recommend them. So I think sometimes we do like see the worst when it comes to our own careers versus what is the actual realistic thing yeah that that is a good point although i might counter and i hate to feel this way so i think you and i probably value those people and value what what they bring uh either in the service that they provide or you know the type of expertise they have that i certainly do not but this pandemic and you know you go online and you can find countless videos of you know the karens and what's the male equivalent the chat or whatever anyways (laughs) karens for sure mistreating their servers mistreating retail workers or the grocery shop workers grocery store workers i mean i i hate to feel that you and i are in the minority but my gosh, Marinella, there are a lot of people who treat those populations horribly. Oh, I guess I need to get out oh. more and remember. That's what it is. I know. I'm, I'm in my own little safe space bubble. <laughs> I guess the only positive silver lining to that is they are being publicly shamed. Like more people are recording them to publicly shame them because I think as a society realize you, you don't treat people that way. You should treat them with respect and dignity and you're really actually the asshole, not them. But I, I, something tells me you don't, right, because a lot of times those Karens, I'm going to keep using that word because I think most of us are familiar with the phrase, when someone of authority comes out, like the owner of the shop or, you know, a manager, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes they change their tune and all of a sudden they're more respectable because they've got the you know, person of authority that they wanted in the first place and they've got their attention. Uh, So it's only people that they see or deem as below them that they treat that way, right? I mean, I think that that is the way it works out in their minds. Yeah, that that must, I must be, we are the minority because the first person I want to chew out if I have a bad experience is the manager. Like, and I don't even think it's the server's fault for a second. I'm like, this thing, I'm just thinking, this guy doesn't know how to run this place. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. I have had like bad experiences in my internet service provider. And I've had to, there was a period of time where I was calling almost every other day because it was going down for, you know, 20, 30, 40 minutes a day, which just, you know, when I'm trying to work from home is really impossible. 
So I was calling them to figure out what was happening and, you know, whatnot. And I just distinctly remember being on the phone with the reps and like, where is that balance between being stern and being upset, but also saying, I know this is not your fault. You're just the person who answered the phone. You're not responsible for this, but I am very upset. Someone needs to be taking me seriously in this situation, seriously. And I just, yeah, anyways, I really struggled with finding that balance. And I think a lot of times I would get stern and at the end be like, it's not your fault. It's not you personally. Like I really felt the need to assure them it wasn't about them. It was about the service itself. Well, at least you, you finish with that. A lot of people wouldn't. Or they'll write an email where you cannot find any sense of compassion where you're just like, this sounds really mean and it might not be, but it, there's no way to know. <laughs> right? Um. Well, back to, though, I think the main topic we were discussing is our own self-worth. I yes. also noticed, even though I got paid less, I felt as though my worthiness increased when I became a counselor. And I could throw that I have a master's degree around because people also think degrees equal valuableness, which I don't at my age now think is true. But back then... I really thought it was true. It made me actually, uh, I, I read this recently about the concept of praise and how parents should not necessarily be praising children for getting good grades because then children begin equating how well they do on tests and how well they do in school with how worthy they are. And you don't want children to think the only way to be worthy is to get good grades and write vice versa. If you get a bad grade, that means you're not worthy anymore. So there, anyways, there's a lot of new research about how praise essentially backfires that way. Well-meaning parents, right? Who doesn't want to praise their kid for getting a good grade, but it actually could kind of backfire as far as how that child develops their self-esteem and their worthiness. Yeah, one of the things that I realized after going to therapy with, you know, trying to figure out, like, what self-worth meant to me was that I associated self-worth with having to, like, earn it. I needed to perform or do something, like, just being myself and doing, like, no favors for anybody. It didn't equal like being deserving of of feeling worthy so i can see how that would be really important as a child to like start forming that idea that you don't have to like hit a certain mark in order to be applauded like you can just be applauded for trying or that uh, not be applauded at all and be okay by it you know what i mean Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely it also hearing you say that reminds me when I was in when I was in grad school we had a professor I don't even remember what kind of prompted this but at one point early on he said I want you to ask yourself if you believe every client that you'll see has value even the worst of the worst he's like imagine you know, a sexual predator who has preyed on young children. Imagine, you know, a serial killer. Imagine whoever the worst of the worst, um, you know, kind of by humanity's standards are. Do you think if that person walked into your, 
into your office, do you see them as having value? And it was really interesting exercise because uh, it made you pause and see the humanity in those people. Like at the end of the day, those are horrible actions, right? A sexual predator preying on a kid, horrible action. Serial killer killing a bunch of people, horrible action. But do they have value? And his point was, if you don't see the value in them, then you shouldn't treat them. Because if you can't, as, a, as their therapist, if you can't see that they have value as a human being, then you sh should be referring them to someone else who does see that value in them. Because it's not fair to them that they would not have a, you know, a therapist who sees them as worthy. So I'm guessing a fair amount of therapists have a th some type of therapy session themselves to make sure that they have some kind of self-worth going. Because I feel like it would be hard to say that somebody like a serial killer has value if you didn't feel too good with yourself. Because you might be like kind of holding that opinion of other people too. I would say the good therapists, all the good therapists do therapy. And I have actually worked with, I've never worked with a therapist who's worked with serial killers. I, I think probably because a lot of serial killers um, either are trying not to get caught and aren't necessarily telling anybody about it. Or, you know, you start getting into like being a psychopath and not necessarily having empathy, perhaps. And if that's the case, are they the type of person that reaches out for therapy? Probably not. Uh, but sexual predators, a lot of times, if they, especially convicted ones, they will do treatment in the prison systems. And I actually worked for years with a therapist who used to, that's the population she worked with, was people who had been convicted of um, sex crimes. And she really actually liked working with that population, which kind of blew my mind. But I also kind of saw where she was coming from because... She saw the humanity in them. She understood that many of them were victims themselves who unfortunately, as a way to, you know, adapt to the trauma they had been through, they developed this maladaptive coping mechanism of perpetuating the abuse onto someone else that gave them a sense of power because now they were the perpetrator onto someone else. Uh, so, you know, she saw the humanity in that and understanding that these for people who are victims themselves and unfortunately did, did not adapt well and did not become resilient in that trauma. Uh, so anywho, I guess it, it is an interesting point. Therapists should seek therapy and, and really be able to recognize if they see value in their clients or not. And if they can't see value, they should not be seeing that client. Good to know. Yeah. I had never asked my therapist if she valued me, but I assumed she did. She stuck with me. So <laughs> I would also guess you get the sense. Like, you know what I mean? If a therapist doesn't seem invested in you, I think you probably pick up on those subtle clues and hints. And if you're feeling that way, find someone else, man. There's a lot of therapists out there. Find someone who's a better fit for you. Yes. Definitely went through my share of them. So yeah, agreed. So tell me a little bit about your thoughts on appearance. Cause you and I both talked about some of our body image concerns. So how do you see appearance 
And whether that's physical fitness or how you dress, all of that impacting your self-worth. Well, I guess it's kind of like a vicious cycle for me because if I if, if I don't feel good about the way I look, I don't feel like I deserve or I have the self-worth to invest the time in, in improving it either. So it's kind of like it's going back and forth. Um, you know, like I'll splurge to buy like something nice for like somebody I'm dating or, you know, one of my family members that they could wear or, you know, a perfume they would like. But I like really struggle with um, making those purchases for myself, like thinking that I have the worth to enjoy those things, even though I know other people can and do and I want them to. It's like for me, I almost struggle with thinking that I am the priority to feel that way about like my physical appearance. Hmm. I think hearing you say that, I, I think I'm pretty similar. I also see it as a bit of a vicious cycle. And there have been times in my life that I've been very physically fit and I definitely have higher self-esteem. I see myself as being more valuable and worthy. I, I, that is a big, one of the big pillars that I feel like my self-worth is built on is, uh, physical fitness and appearance overall. If I'm not physically fit, I also tend to dress less confident. It's like I want people not to see me because I don't feel good in my body. So I try to dress in ways that don't attract attention. And not that I would dress in an attention-getting way before, but I guess confident is the best way to distinguish. I think I would dress more confidently. You know, I would wear clothes that fit me, whereas when I'm out of shape, I'm more apt to wear clothes that are a bit baggier or kind of hide my physical shape. So it all feeds into yeah. itself. And then when I'm not feeling great about myself and I don't think I look cute in the workout clothes, I'm also way less likely to go to the gym and work out because I look like crap. And I'm thinking, what does everyone here think about me? Nothing. The truth is they're thinking about themselves, but I still can't get over it. Yeah. Definitely at the gym, people don't even care about what you're wearing because they're like so into what's going on with them for the same reasons. Um, I watched an episode of uh, Queer Eye recently, and they brought something similar to the table. There was a guy who he, he put on a lot of weight and they're trying to like get his his look together and he he decided not to put any effort into what he wore because he said that he wasn't in good enough shape for him to care about like the kind of clothes that he wore and i forget which um which guy was doing the style part of it but you know he he made a point to like remind him like hey even when you're not in your best shape like you still deserve to feel good you should still like you don't have to wait to get to your perfect ideal body image for you to start like dressing in a way that highlights your best features and he's you know giving out tips on like how to kind of like not mask the things that you don't feel as good about but like there are ways to still feel good no matter what shape you're in so I guess it is kind of more like an inside job in the end to just you know think that you deserve it and 
he ended up feeling like really happy in what he was wearing what he was wearing oh i yeah i used to love the original queer eye and i've watched a season or two of the newest one i just not been as i like it i just I think because it's on Netflix and like the episodes drop and they it's on my next Netflix suggestions for a couple of weeks and then it just like falls off the radar that I forget. Whereas before the old original show back in like the early 2000s, uh, it was like a weekly show on network TV. So like you were kind of constantly reminded like new episode this whatever day of the week it aired. I gotta watch more because I do really love, I love the whole show. They 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 do a great job of really building people's confidence and self worth up. So should check it out. Maybe pick up a tip yeah. or two. I was still calling it Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, and somebody corrected me. And they're like, "Oh no, it's not for the straight guy anymore. It's for everybody." I'm like, "What?" And that's when I started watching it. <laughs> I know. I think I might slip and call it the old name. Just it's what I'm used to it being called from back in the OG run. Oh, I want to talk about, even though this is something that I don't want to talk about, but I do want to get your opinion and I want to share my thoughts. How do you see relationship status playing into your self worth, or do you think it doesn't? Um, relationship status plays a lot. Well, it, it did play a lot into my self-worth previously. Um, I come from an Italian family. You know, getting married and having kids is the dream. And there was always kind of like that, you know, image of like finding that person and like bringing them to holidays and making everybody proud that I found like somebody so great to bring around. So a relationship did mean a lot to my self-worth. And, um, I guess also in a way I do have some like codependent tendencies. So that was a big chunk of it too. Yeah. It plays a bunch into my self-worth as well. I definitely feel again, more quote unquote worthy when I'm in a relationship versus not. I think some of that is these not even unspoken. They're kind of out there. Expectations for women in society. I'm not Italian. I still think that there are these expectations that a woman of a certain age should be in a relationship and either having children or at least, again, married or in a long-term relationship. The fact that you would potentially be almost, I'll be 38 in a couple of months and single and okay with it is just apparently that's not an option or a path in life uh i don't see it represented very much yeah i was i was recently told that by a good friend that um she thought i was getting bitter because she asked me you know if i had been dating or if if i was going to meet people and i just said you know i'm not really not i'm really not that interested in it like i've been in relationship after relationship after relationship and been so focused on you know another person's happiness and giving 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 that i think i'm just good with me for right now and she that's when she said i think you're getting a little bit bitter um she also happened to be one of my 
exes. So I don't know if there was a conflict of interest there. Not my most recent ex, so some time away from that. But I, I think maybe she, she may have a little bit of some investment in that statement where it's like, you're being a little bitter. And I just thought, is that bitter? Or am I just being honest saying that I'm taking some time for me? I don't know, but there is, that did make me question, like, oh, am I not as good if I don't get a relationship? Is that, is that really that important? It's a shame. I also, I'm curious if this is the case for same-sex relationships, but I think in my experience with heterosexual relationships, there's also another layer to this self-worth relationship piece, and that is... I am more quote unquote worthy if my partner makes good money, has a good profession, and is taller than me. There's a big thing with straight women not dating a man that is either the same height or shorter than them. I'm pretty average height. I'm 5'5", so most men are above my height or, or my height. That being said, I look back at boyfriends and most of the men I've dated, and they've been the six-foot range, most of them. And I definitely have this concept, like if you asked me to draw up my ideal man, and I would I would put him as tall. And I, you know, I know that this podcast is more geared toward women, um, but I, I, it made me feel for men in this regard that, they're probably seen as less worthy if they're a shorter height. And mm-hmm. women who are in those relationships by extension may also be seen as less worthy because of that. And that's all a bunch of bullshit. Oh, yeah. I, I am guilty of telling perfectly great women that were much taller than me that I just couldn't see myself being involved with somebody that tall. And I looking back think how stupid that is but that might be a women's thing where it's like I feel like I need to be and I've talked to other lesbians about this as well for the most part a woman doesn't want to feel like she's towering over anybody and I think that is just I mean most lesbians are pretty similar in height it's I it's just it is what it is like I've always been more interested in People who were 5'1 or 5'2. I mean, 5'7 is okay, but, like, I prefer somebody that's on my eye level. I don't know why. It's kind of silly, you know, but hmm, it's a thing. And I'm sure there's a bit of a logistical piece. Like, if you're, you know, 5' and let's say you meet a man who's 6'5", okay, I get that logistically that (laughs) there might be a certain point if you're on one extreme of the spectrum that it's hard to date someone who is on the other height extreme. But for, I think, the vast majority of humans who fall somewhere more in the middle of, what's that called when it's like the the bell curve? You know, we fall more in the middle of that bell curve. It's such a shame that even a couple of inches, which is still in that normal range, is, yeah, there's all these weird unspoken rules about the height that a fellow lesbian can date and the height that a heterosexual couples need to have. I really think, once again, it's based on, like, I'm putting my self-worth on what 
the perception of that is like what will people think and how am I going to feel knowing that people think that we look silly or you know they won't think that we're together or something where there's like questioning and I can't my self-worth does not do well with questioning (laughs) I saw or heard about some so people have started to study because uh there's definitely a trend of and this is for heterosexual couples so i'm sorry i wish i had same-sex relationship trends on this but i don't you straighties no so heteronormative (laughs) such a bitch uh but i'm talking about how women are are marrying uh straight women are marrying later and later in life and are less likely to have children and there's like these dynamics as, at play as like more women kind of climb the career ladder and the financial ladder. And you have situations where in relationships, women are the breadwinner when historically it's always been the man as the breadwinner. And a lot of times women didn't have access to, you know, those levels of leadership in a company. And anywho, they suspect that that those two things are related, that women gaining more kind of power in the workplace and more, you know, uh, earning a higher income is also related to why you're seeing a decline in marriage trends and birth. And it's because we're still holding on to this concept that in order for a heterosexual woman to marry, she needs to find a man who makes more money than her. But as you even the playing field, that means a lot of men are going to make a lot less money than certain women. So it's it's kind of an interesting paradox. And I don't know. I mean, I think they probably need to do a lot more studies to see how actually related these things are. But I still kind of found that interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. I I mean, I work with a handful of men that... um, are married and they are very actually happy to say when their wives are making more money than them it's like they're like but they say it in a way also where it's like she finally makes more money than me like something like to those lines so it's kind of like a cut but also like a it's it's a little yeah back in a compliment finally Like, finally, I can relax, you know, like, I can be taken care of. It's like, okay. (laughs) Okay. Why don't you just just calm down? But, like, they're glad that she's making more money. And they're they're secure, I guess, enough to stay in the marriage. But there is that, there's that comment, you know? Yeah, interesting. (laughs) Some kept men you work with, Marinella. Yeah. (laughs) Love you guys if you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) uh so shifting gears i wanted to get we we've talked a little bit about our own self-worth and what we think impacts it how can you tell if somebody else like if you're looking at a person how do you determine if you think they have a high self-worth or not you know what what do you look for in them confidence um like their ability to show like their personality like uh how much they share like i feel like when people are very like closed off then they probably don't have a high self-worth so when i i guess when i meet somebody and i learn a lot about them but not like the dramatics of their life i feel like that's a 
good side of self-worth. Like, I'm not hearing about your problems, but I'm hearing about a lot about you. I'm thinking, okay, this person has a high self-worth. I would say that's pretty pretty on point to how I uh, determine that in somebody else. It is definitely a confidence. There is a, a certain vulnerability there. Like, they're willing to, like, having a flaw or perceived flaw isn't something they're concerned with or, you know, worry about. Uh, yeah, I, I would say those two things are true. I also, if someone has a really kind of inflated ego or is overly confident, that reads as very insecure to me and as like a cover for low self-worth, low self-esteem. So it's it's like this healthy balance of being confident, but also being okay with having perceived flaws. It's not the overly confident, I'm perfect, I'm flawless. That that comes off as very, you're covering for an insecurity to me. Yeah, like I think more and more we're realizing that those people are really just full of shit, basically, <laughs> like, you know uh that that human doesn't exist i mean donald trump might have been that and we all know that that's that's not he ain't doing good there's not a lot of security in him so no not at all not at all yeah that would probably be a good example someone who is so defensive can never admit a mistake can never oh acknowledge of you know another one where i feel like i can tell somebody has pretty good self-worth is if they're good decision makers like they make a decision and they're not like apologetic about it and they're you know really they really you know deliver their decisions well um that to me is like a big one yeah that yeah that's interesting i hadn't thought about that but i would agree with you like when I think of someone who is strong and self-worth, I agree. They're a decisive decision maker, but they're fair in their reasoning. Yeah, that's a good, that's yeah. a good trait to, to measure someone by. <laughs> and eye contact. That's probably a good one, too. <laughs> <laughs> as, as we do a podcast where no one can see our eyes. But you and I are making eye contact right now. We are. I mean, it's hard to know because I have to look into the lens and you have to look into the lens. Right. And we just have to know that it's happening. <laughs> but trust us, it's happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So to close out, I thought we could discuss uh, any, I don't know, tips you have or ideas you have for trying to improve your self-worth or anything that you're personally trying to work on. Um, I guess for me, my tips are, I mean, I I think this goes along with it, like self-validation stuff, like to like congratulate yourself or to like your own post, things like that, where it's like, oh, that's silly, but I mean, go ahead and do that. I'm, or, you know, think about like your dog or a baby and like how you would praise it like a a, something cute and adorable just for existing like why not do that for yourself i do think showing yourself self-compassion and self-love the same way you would show the people you love love and compassion is crucial i think you have to be able to 
do those things, we are much more critical on ourselves than we are, you know, the people around you, especially the people you love around you that you care about. So it's maybe kind of reflecting some of that compassion and love you show them, but back to yourself. I agree with that. Uh, I also think a big thing for me that I am working on is my people pleasing. And I know we talked about this in the very first episode we did on, on imperfection and that we both struggle with people pleasing. And I, I think I see those being tied together because I see self-worth as being a bit of me comparing myself to others. And people pleasing is me kind of having the focus on how others are receiving me in a way. And so my hope is as I kind of decrease my people pleasing tendencies, it also helps me to decrease my comparing myself to others. Like I think those things have some level of connection for me. Um, so that's kind of what I'm trying to work on in regards to this. Well, as someone who has worked on that recently, uh, it is very rewarding to be able to just like not bend to so much and notice that the reaction is very like typically not what you expect. Like you expect people to get pissed off that you said no to, you know, taking on a task and they really don't challenge you because they really do know that maybe they were asking a lot from you to begin with and they're like wow she's finally done oh okay cool oh, okay so you're gonna you're gonna get that and you're gonna I love cannot it. wait to get to that <laughs> <laughs> yes well i think that wraps it up for this week's discussion we'll catch everyone next week see you then <laughs>